is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Arch. I'm Charles Feldman. Police are getting tougher on retail theft. We'll go in-depth into the new task force created to try to stop those scary flash mob thieves. We will also talk to L.A. County D.A. George Gascon, who was criticized for not being at the announcement of the task force this morning. Southern California could get hit in a few days by a tropical storm with all the wind and the rain. We're going to go in-depth on what people should do to get ready. And it's not just you if you can't hear your favorite streaming movies, the dialogue at least. We'll look into whether there's a solution other than subtitles. We start with the new Retail Theft Task Force. Burbank Police Chief Michael Albanese is with us. His department is part of the uh, task force. Uh, Chief, thanks for being with us. Uh, Thank you for the invite. So let me ask you, uh, unless there's some evidence that these uh, smash and grabs are, uh, you know, organized in some way and, you know, kind of like like the the uh, the mafia of yesteryear where you can target uh, a particular organization and try to shut it down. uh, How do you deal with it? They do seem to be sporadic. They do seem to be at random. They do seem to be with various people. How do you tackle that? So that, that's going to be the uh, uh, centerpiece of what the task force is going to look at. Uh, I think it's going to be strategic. I think they're going to optimize on technology. They're going to optimize on the use of uh, uh, search warrants uh, to determine uh, how organized they are. I believe it'll be a coordinated effort uh, with the you know 22 plus uh, uh, experienced detectives that are primarily focused on thwarting uh, this type of behavior. Uh, I'm I'm actually encouraged the fact that we're gonna have some DAs embedded in this task force, that it includes not only LAPD, CHP, uh, Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, Burbank, and other of our neighboring agencies, I think is a really, really good start to uh, stopping this. Did you make a point of, I think you excluded the LA County DA? No, I, I included them first. They are embedded in the uh, uh, task force, and they're an essential part of that task force as far as fast-tracking warrants and uh, uh, providing uh, consultation for prosecutorial considerations. Okay. You know, it seems to me uh, the thing with these flash mobs is uh, maybe it's it's organized. Maybe there's uh, some group of people behind it who's who sends uh, these 50 or so people and promises, and I'll give you cash, you bring me the goods. Or it might just be a matter of kind of an evolution of, uh, you know, a bunch of guys sitting around going, you know, there's more of us than there are of them. If we all break in, most of us are going to get stuff, and most of us are going to get away if any of us get caught. And that seems to be the calculus to me. Am I wrong about that? Is this just a matter of them figuring out that they're uh, that you're outnumbered? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I have a different uh, take on it. I think they are organized. I think they have uh, 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 briefings as far as how they're going to uh, approach a, a particular retailer. I think they're also strategic in what retailers they um, attack, if you will. So I believe that there is, is an organized element to it. The fact that they caravan together. Uh, I, I don't think they just happen on each other and say, hey, let's let's go do this. I believe that there is some organization to it. And that, again, is what the uh, 
task force is going to try to uh, determine and uh, look at investigative measures and pass to uh, you know stop all this. I, I want to pursue that a little bit more, if I can, Chief. I, again, when you talk about that you believe it's organized, there's organized and then there's organized. Uh, I mean, there's organized in the sense of, you know, 10, 15, 20, however many uh, you want to include in the number, getting sure. together beforehand and, and, you know, as you suggested, you know, pointing out who are we going to target, how are we going to do it, that sort of thing. Then there's organized in the sense of an organized type, you know, organized crime type group that controls all of this. Which one or maybe both are you suggesting? I, I think it's going to be a hybrid. Uh, I don't think they have an organizational chart like you would in a bureaucracy. But I believe that there are shot callers that are uh, recruiting and they are uh, strategic in how they um, do these do these crimes? So uh, I I don't want to underestimate their sophistication, uh, even though their their tactics are kind of uh, just mob like. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to be diplomatic here, <laughs> but 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 there's someone behind the scenes that's coordinating all of this. All right. And, and when it's all done and if they divvy the loop up or they get paid, uh, I think they're also uh, evaluating how successful they were. The fact that this task force uh, was uh, generated, and I give kudos to Mike Moore and LAPD as far as putting this together and acting, uh, you know, like right now, uh, and that it's being... Uh, uh, discussed in the media, there's a lot of anger and fury over uh, the behavior. Uh, it's also going to put these folks, and I'm going to call them the shot callers, on notice. Is that hey, we're coming after you, and and there's going to be a severe consequence uh, once uh, once we go to court. Let me ask you one last uh, question, Chief, and we'll let you go. Uh, in terms of again, any sort of organizational. Uh, I get what you're saying, no organizational chart, but nonetheless, maybe some kind of a uh, organization or ad hoc organization. Is there any indication that any of this has any sort of foreign influence since a lot of this merchandise being stolen, very expensive, being resold on all kinds of markets? Do you have any indication that there's any sort of foreign influence in this? I, I really don't know. And the position that I have and Mike Moore and other chiefs have is that this is this is why you have uh, investigators, detectives that have uh, experience and expertise. They will probably come up with a, a profile of what uh, uh, what what this looks like moving forward. Uh, I, I would encourage folks, and and know folks are uh, uh, angry, frustrated. Uh, just give us a little time. And let's see how we do as far as thwarting this activity. Burbank Police Chief Michael Albanese, thank you so much. Can this new task force to try to cut down on retail theft actually work? Rachel Michelin is president and CEO of the California Retailers Association. Also with us is Charlie Jasper, operations manager for Aegis Security and Investigations. Both of you, thank you for being with us. Great. Thank you. Rachel, let me, let me begin with you, uh, Rachel. Uh, are you confident from what you've heard thus far that law enforcement uh, has a kind of handle around what to do about this? 
You know, we've been working with law enforcement for over two years now in ensuring that they have the resources they need to combat organized retail crime and retail theft. So we absolutely think that they have what they need. But with what we also need to look at are policy changes to make sure we have the ability to prosecute these individuals who are coming in to our stores and, and creating this type of criminal activity. And Charlie, uh, obviously, the need for uh, uh, a tougher prosecution is definitely one of the things that law enforcement is looking at. But uh, from the other side of it, uh, obviously, you don't want store employees uh, getting into fights with these people because uh, then the store employee is going to get hurt. That opens up the company to possible litigation. They don't want that. Uh, when it comes to armed guards, they don't want armed guards you know, taking shots at people with the danger of hitting an innocent bystander. And it does seem like, you know, it's that case of the good guys have to play by the rules. The bad guys don't. What are some things that you think as as a security uh, person that, that stores could do starting, let's say, in the next few days? Well, in the next few days, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm also the director of protective intelligence for the company. Um I cut my teeth in uh, with a major mall management company as the number three security executive. Uh, so this is a near and dear subject to my heart. Uh, some things that retailers might start doing or, or probably will start doing is they're going to have less product on the floor. Um, this, of course, does create some problems as they have to constantly send people back to bring up new product as people buy it. But it does reduce exposure to uh, to uh, shrinkage, as it's called. Um, you know, one of the things that we can do, obviously, is is tougher sentencing, um, you know, get back to stacking misdemeanors to be felonies. Uh, we did a lot of uh, harm to our, our economy with uh, how Prop 47 came out, which was a huge, uh, you know, you know, a huge knock against law enforcement and the ability to uh, prosecute criminals. California is the, you're currently the the hotbed of organized retail crime. Uh, uh, per the Real Estate Industry uh, Association, RILA. So um, what we also need to do is protect retailers, employees, and security personnel from increased li- from the increased liability if, you know, they do end up getting into a scuffle. First and foremost, we want to advocate that, you know, you don't do anything that can increase the risk of loss of life, limb, or eyesight. But if something does happen, that you need to be able to protect your employees, protect your contractors, and that they're not as exposed for a criminal getting hurt uh, when they're being apprehended in the process of committing a crime. Right. Um, you know, so we want to make sure that there's that we strike that balance. And then on the law enforcement side, of course, you know, federal, state, and and local task forces have have been a huge help in this, but. You know, it's it's there's a lot that we can still do on our side. Rachel, uh, we are going to be talking in the next segment to the L.A. County District Attorney George Gascon uh, as the CEO of the California Retailers Association. And I think he may be listening to this uh, segment. Uh, What would you say, if anything, to him? You know, first of all, I would say, how do we work together? You know, I, I've been, you know, sounding the alarm for two years. I sounded the alarm. I, I was on calls with him a year ago and said, how can we work together to try to solve this problem? You know, I would also say, and I think Charlie hit the nail on the head, we do need to make changes to our policy where, 
you know, right now, it, you know, it's site and release. If you steal under $950, you can't stack, you can't aggregate. I hear constantly that in California, oh, we can stack misdemeanors. That's not happening. People are not being held accountable for criminal behavior. And to what Charlie's point, you know, what, what came across to me is we're putting the burden on retailers and consumers to have, we're the ones now that have to make all these adjustments to accommodate criminal activity. So we are making all of these changes to allow the criminals to get away with it. He is the chief law enforcement officer. He is the prosecutor of LA County. Things need to change. This is not new. We need to do things differently. I stand absolutely ready to work with him if he wants to sit down and have a real conversation because retailers are doing everything we can. Consumers are having to accommodate. And at the end of the day, these people are committing crimes in our stores and they need to be held accountable for their criminal behavior. That's his job is to hold them accountable. And I've yet to see him really step up. Karen Bass stepped up today. The governor has stepped up to do things. You know, we are trying from all sides, but unfortunately, we just don't see that coming out of the county of Los Angeles. All right. Rachel uh, Michelin, there, president and CEO of the California Retailers Association. Strong words for George Gascon. Also, uh, Charlie Jasper, operations manager for Aegis Security and Investigations. Yes, indeed. You're right, Rob. Very strong words aimed at the L.A. County District Attorney. When we come back, we will talk with the L.A. County District Attorney. We continue now our discussion on retail theft with us, L.A. County District Attorney George Gascon. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Charles Rob. So you're being criticized, uh, among other things, for not being at that meeting this morning, the press conference that was attended by the Los Angeles uh, mayor, Karen Bass, by other law enforcement officials. A lot of people are asking why you weren't there. So I will ask you, why weren't you there? Sure. Look, I mean, for me, this is about the work, not the cameras. We have been working uh, from the very beginning with the LAPD, the Glendale Police Department, and, and the rest of our law enforcement partners. We have attorneys that are assigned to the task force. We have investigators. We have uh, put this under a single umbrella of our organized crime division, uh, which includes we also have our commercial crimes and our cyber unit. So we're looking at this from every angle. Uh, and we are ensuring that our law enforcement partners have the prosecutorial support that they need to have. I am very, very intentional about holding this individual accountable. Last, uh, you know, last week I said very clearly, I believe this is, you know, the, the, this is a hybrid of things, but definitely there is like organized crime in this. Uh, and we're going to hold accountable not only the people that are doing the stealing, but we're going to hold accountable those that are doing the selling. And certainly if we can get to the buyers as well. People need to understand that this, this is an ecosystem. And unfortunately, we're all being victimized and small businesses are being really, uh, you know, driven uh, to the ground in many cases. And we are very intentional to ensure that people are being held accountable to the maximum extent of all, you know, possible sure. by the law. But, but let me ask you something, uh, and, and I'll follow up with this one question, and then we'll move on to some other things about this. But but you said uh, you didn't attend this morning because, you know, it's about the work and not about the cameras. Uh, and I understand that. But you're a sophisticated guy. You must have realized 
that you were going to be criticized by for not being there by other politicians, by people in law enforcement, because you've been criticized for some of your policies. So was it like a sort of a deliberate thing not to be there? It wouldn't have taken a lot of effort to just be there, would it have? No, I think you have to ask the mayor. Uh, you know, we were not notified of the, the press conference. Uh, so I think you would have to address that question to the mayor's office. Wait, you were not notified? We were not notified. Interesting. Uh, Orange County's uh, DA had some uh, strong words for you, uh, basically uh, saying that uh, because they are doing such a tougher job there of going after these uh, flash mobs, that now they're they're hitting L.A. County. And also other people have pointed up the changes in the uh, bail policy, et cetera, uh, how uh, crimes are rated, whether they're misdemeanors uh, up to felonies. And and then our last guest had some very direct words for you saying that, uh, you know, the mayor of L.A. has stepped up, but but she's accusing you you of not stepping up. Would you like to respond to any of those uh, charges? Well, first of all, I'm not sure uh, what that is referenced to, because we have not only been stepping up, we have been an integral part of this task force and this work. And we are holding people accountable as to the bail I think that you have to ask the court. That is a policy that has been established by the court, and they will be in a better place to reply to your uh, to your question. But to to the point that we're stepping up, uh, we have been stepping up. We have dedicated resources to this work. Again, we are channeling all this through our organized crime division. Uh, we have put not only uh, prosecutorial lawyer resources, but we're putting investigators, we're putting analytical work, and we're very committed to making those people accountable. I think that when you hear other jurisdictions about the work, I think you have to, you know, you really have to ask them because, to my knowledge, they have a significant problem over there, and it's not necessarily coming from our county. We're dealing with our problem, and hopefully they're able to deal with theirs. Do you agree with those who think that the policies that you have at your office now are contributing to this rash of uh, uh, smash and grabs, uh, the, the $0 bail thing, that sort of thing? Do you think that you need to be tougher? Well, look, I mean, if first of all, I, I disagree with that. But, but I think that, you know, you guys are pretty discerning. This is a nationwide problem. We're seeing this in other counties in California. We're seeing it in other parts of the country. Uh, I think, you know, I would love to believe that that I can control, uh, you know, climate change as well. But the reality is that I only uh, work in L.A. County and, and the policies that we have here are holding people accountable. If you look at our filing rates for felonies and it's in our midterm report, our consistent with this office's work for the last 10 years. Uh, we continue to aggressively pursue violent crime and organized crime, and we are pursuing even on the misdemeanor arena outside of the city of L.A. because we don't prosecute misdemeanors in the city of L.A. or many other cities. But for the cities that we do, if you look at our filing rates and misdemeanors of theft, driving under the influence, domestic violence, violent type of misdemeanors were prosecuting those at the same level. So I think that what you hear often are, you know, comments that, that are not based on what is actually happening. This office handles approximately 110 to 120,000 cases a year. We are the largest prosecution office in the country by far. 
And I have to tell you that I'm very proud of the work that the, the people in this office do, not only the lawyers, but our investigators, our support staff. And we're very fortunate that we have what I consider to be uh, the premier law enforcement in this country is, is based right here in L.A. County. I personally, as a 27-year veteran of the LAPD, I, 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 I'm very proud of the law enforcement work in this county. Uh, there are three prongs to this conversation. One of the prongs is law enforcement. What can law enforcement do to to catch uh, the people who are carrying these out, go after the people who might be behind it, putting it together, controlling it, et cetera. And then there's, uh, you know, your your prong of this, the uh, judicial side of it, uh, uh, making sure that these people, when they're caught, are punished, et cetera. But the other prong, and, and there is some pushback on that, is what can the stores, what can the retailers do to limit their exposure? And, and that is a a, a valid part of the discussion. What would you, as the district attorney, whose job it is is to go after these people once they're caught uh, and punish them uh, if they're guilty? What would you like the stores to do? What can what can retailers do to make your job easier? Yeah, look, I mean, we're we're already in conversations with some major uh, uh, you know some major stakeholders in the retail business, and we'll continue to do so. Uh, look, everybody has a part to play. But I don't want to be critical of retailers. They they have their own issues. They're trying to protect themselves from liability, um, and and I understand the, the the challenges that they have. And and sometimes what is becoming increasingly a very tough uh, business climate for brick and mortar stores. You know, our 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 consuming habits have evolved tremendously, and increasingly more and more people are buying things online as opposed to going to the stores, that's creating a challenge, you know, to the bottom line of many retailers. And on top of that, they have to deal with many other problems. So uh, I, yes, I absolutely believe that they have a role to play, but I'm very sensitive to their needs. And I want to make sure that we work together in a productive manner because we are all better. By the way, our entire community is better when everybody works together. We need the community. We need law enforcement. We need strong prosecution. And certainly we need our retailers to to do what they can uh, to reduce their the likelihood of being victimized. But I don't want to target them because I think it would be unfair to say that, you know, that they're not doing their place. Many retailers are already taking uh, very strong measures to protect themselves as well. I, I'm curious, uh, you know, sometimes when you have uh, when you do have news conferences, I think you did one not too long ago. And you're pressed on your policies uh, about being you know, allegedly too soft on crime. You do tend to sort of then lash out at the the reporters asking the questions in the media. Is that because you think that the media is getting it wrong, or do you think it's really helpful, or or what? No, I think. Look, I mean, we're making a, a big deal out of a specific incident that happened uh, when somebody's asking a question and it's coming from an uninformed place. I, I believe that, uh, you know, we as a, as a democracy and a, and a free society depend deeply in, in well-informed media. And I understand how challenging this work is for you guys, especially, uh, you know, in this age of social media where everybody that can jump on the internet can become a reporter, right? The, the days of having, you know, a strictly professional reporters that can analyze a story and give you the you know the good and the bad, and and give you a balanced story are 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 very uh, are gone in many places. Having said that, I believe that you know we have a shared responsibility. My responsibility is to put out there 
uh, the work that we're doing, be transparent, which we're pushing really hard. You know, we're creating dashboards to to do something that's never been done in this county. And by the way, in very few counties where we're actually beginning to display everything that we're doing, you know, the number of cases that are coming in, how they're being charged, what the outcomes are, and we'll continue to evolve in that in that process. Uh, we put a lot of work in putting together a midterm report to kind of give an overview of the last two years. And I find it problematic when legitimate media, and by the way, I'm going to undermine legitimate media because this particular reporter is a legitimate reporter. When legitimate media ask uh, the kind of questions that, that I expect to see, uh, you know, from crazy people on the internet, right? And that, <laughs> that to me, uh, is, is troubling, right? So I, I do believe that I have an obligation to be responsive and to be transparent. I think that you guys in, in, the, in the professional side of the journalism, you also have an obligation to the public to, to take the time to be informed and, and then ask informed questions. If I am doing something wrong or you want to question me, I welcome that. You know, I am a public servant. I am here for you. But it's better for all of us when we come from a better informed place. Let me ask you, uh, I think, one last question. You had mentioned a little bit earlier that you didn't go to the news conference this morning because you weren't invited. Um, do you think that's because the political structure in the in the city, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it, uh, I'll underline it in this case, the mayor, do you think that Mayor Bass is trying to undercut you in some way? No, not at all. Look, I mean, look, I have, I'm a countywide elected official. I have a responsibility for 88 cities and, you know, many unincorporated areas. The mayor has a portion of the county. She has about 40% of the county. I have 100% of the county. Her her immediate attention is going to be to the city of LA, which she should. That's what she was elected to do. My immediate attention is the entire county. I, you know, you have to ask her why I was not invited. But was she the one, I'm, I'm curious, is she the one who sent out the invite? I mean, who actually started this? And you have your own, you know, detectives. You must have known that there was going to be a news conference this morning. You, you could have just shown up, right? Well, I mean, uh, would you show up to a party that you're not invited? It depends. <laughs> well, see, I'm not, I'm not a party crasher. I, I can tell you that, look, you have the question really has to be asked of her. I, I don't know what the answer to that is. All right. Thank you, uh, Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon, uh, uh, visiting with us on uh, KNX In-Depth. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Hurricane Hillary moving up the Pacific toward Southern California and could hit us as a tropical storm. If that happens, it would be the first time a tropical storm has slammed Southern California directly since 1939. Oh, joy. Here to explain preparations is... Ben Gurnett, who's the Emergency Management Coordinator for the L.A. County Office of Emergency Management. Ben, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So this doesn't sound good. Uh, The first tropical storm that may hit us since uh, 1939. It sounds like I want to be in another place. But if I'm stuck in this place, what do I need to know? So you're right. Um, This isn't something we've seen in quite a while. And, you know, as of right now, the storm's starting, you know, very much south of where we are and it's gonna you know it's gonna move upward so what it could look like when it hits us might be different than what it is now um but some of the things that we really urge people to do in situations like this is you know 
make sure that you've got personal preparedness plans in place. So uh, make sure you stay informed. You know, all those plans that you put together for yourself, make sure they're individualized to you. Um, staying informed also means following media outlets, listening to radio shows like this, um, signing up for uh, different types of emergency alerts and notifications based on where you live. So um, the county has specific alerts and emergency notification systems. Um, cities as well have their own. So really, it's making sure that you know, you're staying informed, you're personally staying prepared. Um, staying indoors is always a really good idea with um, situations like this. We expect to see, you know, maybe road closures, localized flooding in certain areas. Um, so expect traffic. So really, it's taking the necessary precautions for yourself individually to stay safe. Well, I grew up in Florida, uh, South Florida, for uh, most of my life, uh, sure. uh, that part of my life, and also Central Florida, and certainly had a share of, of hurricanes, uh, some of them damaging, some of them just kind of really wimpy by the time they got to us. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to know exactly what to expect, but you do get some warning. Uh, we were always told to prepare for no power for a few days in really bad cases and lots of wind damage. Uh, can we expect something like that here, or is it a matter of even if it's a weaker storm that, say, me as a Florida boy would expect, uh, is our infrastructure ready to handle it? Sure. So we have uh, dedicated partnerships with our utility companies, um, Southern California Edison, and um, we really rely on their expertise to let us know um, what type of situation we might be looking at. That way that dictates our preparedness and our response actions. So, you know, power outages, you know, as we're in the summertime, those are things that can be caused by, uh, you know, the higher temperatures, the extreme heat. So those are things we're continually looking at anyways. Um, so I would say it's always a good idea personally to be prepared for things like that. So, you know, making sure that you've got, you know, uh, your personal preparedness plan ready. You're ready for a couple of days if you didn't have power. Um, but, you know, we work with the necessary partners to make sure that if something like that happens, we're ready to respond and to support the community. All right, Ben Garnett, Emergency Management Coordinator for the L.A. County Office of Emergency Management. As always, uh, make sure you've got uh, KNX on your Odyssey app. You can listen to us anywhere, regardless of whether you're close to a radio or not. And follow KNX when you do. That way you get the breaking news push alerts, and we'll be sending out alerts about the storm as needed. So here's a scenario becoming very common. You turn on a TV to a streaming service. You get all settled in nice and cozy to watch a movie, but you notice a problem. And that problem is you can't hear the dialogue. Huh? What? So you end up using the subtitles. And let me tell you something about the subtitles. Yeah. Sometimes they're wrong. Really, really wrong. So I always feel bad for people who have hearing problems right. trying to make sense of the show by just the subtitles. This audio problem, though, is, is seems to only be getting worse, and you're not alone in noticing it. Brian Chen also is a lead consumer technology writer for The New York Times. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what's going on? Who can we blame uh, and uh, who do we go after for the, oh. not being able to hear the dialogue? There are so many reasons. There's probably at least two dozen reasons that it's become so difficult to hear dialogue, especially in streaming shows. I'll go over the top three that I think are directly related to streaming. Uh, first of all, number one, uh, as you know, a lot of movies these days are coming out immediately on streaming as opposed to the movie theater. But they were originally produced for the movie theater with these gigantic speakers in mind that are capable of delivering a very dynamic range of sounds. They can make a whisper, a, uh, a shout, a gunshot, all sound at a reasonable level without destroying your ears. But once you truncate that down for a streaming app, 
the sound gets down converted. It's basically compressed. It's shrunk down so that the file is smaller. Um, and it makes it so that it can be played on these tiny speakers that we have on our phones, tablets, uh, streaming apps on TVs as well. And once that happens, you lose so much of that fidelity and you just can't hear anything anymore. Uh, the number two reason I'd say is very obvious, TVs. I mean, look at your TV. You got a flat screen TV. It probably looks like a picture frame. Uh, where are the speakers these days? You don't even know where they are. Uh, back in the day when you had TVs, it was very obvious where the speaker was, but now the speakers are pretty much hidden in the back of the TV, blasting sound towards who knows what. So you just can't really hear anything. You know, I I, I was so glad to uh, read the article, uh, Brian, because I have noticed this in the past, I don't know, a few weeks. I was watching stuff on, you know, whether it's Netflix or whatever. And I thought, you know, it's not a very noisy scene, but I can't, you know, I'm missing stuff that the actors are saying. And I keep turning it up uh, Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking maybe I need a hearing test. And then I read the article (laughs) and I and it it just really uh, hit hit the, the nail on the head, I thought. And I was able to. Or the uh, nail hitting it. Too. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you felt heard. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the stats show that more than 50% of Americans at this point are using subtitles. So you're definitely not alone. I, I, along with the rest of you, cannot hear what anybody's saying. I think my hearing is fine. My wife, too. We're constantly asking the question, what did that guy just say? Because <laughs> everybody just is inaudible at this point. Oh, which brings me to a third reason, something I forgot to, to mention, yeah, was that basically streaming apps are the wild, wild west. There's no standard for them. Like with TV, broadcast TV, there are rules and regulations around the sound levels that have to be set. They have to not exceed a certain level of decibels. So there's a standard when you're actually flipping channels on the TV. No such standard on the audio, I mean, excuse me, the streaming apps like Netflix and Amazon and so on. So if you, you, if you switch from app to app or if you're changing from movie to TV show, there's going to be a different audio level for each program, depending on what you're watching. And you're probably going to have to adjust the volume again just to hear what people are saying. Uh, Brian, very quickly, I have a relatively good sound system system at home. I'm using mm-hmm. five ones around. Uh, I've got the center channel pumped up uh, so I can hear the dialogue. And then I turn on the dialogue enhancer on top of that. We still <laughs> have trouble hearing it. So we still have the subtitles on. But here's my problem with the subtitles. Maybe you can address this. Uh, it seems like they're using voice recognition software to, to produce the subtitles. And many times it's just flat out wrong. I, I think you're right. I mean, it depends. Like sometimes there are still human beings doing these subtitles and sometimes they're great, but you're right. It's a crapshoot. Depends on, you know, the source and how much money they want they wanted to spend on subtitles. And sometimes they're automatically generated and they're definitely wrong. So they're definitely not foolproof. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I get a pretty good experience with most shows like on Netflix and say Apple TV plus, but uh, on some other programs, they can definitely drop off in quality. All right, Brian Chen, thank you so much. Uh, lead consumer technology writer for The New York Times. And hearing the uh, dialogue on the uh, shows, Charles. I can't hear a word you're saying. I, I, I'm trying to make out what you're saying to me. Uh, I, I get the finger gesture, but I don't. I well, I, I, I can see the subtitles. Under you. I, th- I think, I think, I think you said, "Do I want a sandwich?" Is that what you said? Yeah, that's exactly what ah, I said. Okay. Got it right. That's it for KX in depth. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow at one p.m.